Welcome to Tool Talk from Exegetical Tools, where we discuss mission-minded practices and majestic resources to help you rightly divide the word of truth. I am blessed today to have Dr. Todd Chipman, Assistant Professor of Biblical Studies at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and my pastor at the Masters Community Church in Kansas City, Kansas, uh, a bona fide pastor scholar. That was actually an episode we did about this time last year, talking about what a pastor scholar actually does through the week, why it's a good thing maybe in a lot of ways that higher education institutions are leaning toward the use of adjunct professors because it allows people who are thinking about study and uh, ministry for the church to kind of dwell in both worlds. And uh, that was a really enjoyable episode. I would encourage our listeners to go back and listen to that. Uh, hear him talk a little bit about his resource, Scripture Storyline, which we're actually uh, pleased to be publishing with Faunus Press sometime next year. Have another book, Adoption, uh, coming out soon. Uh, so we're, we're excited to hear a little bit more about the orphan-minded church in the next several months. But in the meantime, we're here to talk about something that you've been also working through at the MCC, Preaching the Gospels. Yes. Now wrapping up Luke... And after I finish Luke here, Lord willing, about Thanksgiving, I will have preached through all four Gospels. Fantastic. And you decided not to go in order. I didn't. And this brings us to the, uh, the conundrum of an early pastorate, choosing what to preach and where to go. I chose John as the first Gospel I would preach. And I believe it was the third book that I preached. I committed myself to preach through books as much as possible, moving around on holidays and special events, but otherwise just to regularly feed God's people with his word in a continuous exposition of scripture. And I began with a couple of Pauline texts, and after those, I decided I would take on a gospel. And I chose John because... uh, a number of reasons. It's one of the most widely known Gospels. I think if you surveyed most Christians, they would likely have read on their own John perhaps more than Luke all the way through, or Mark. Uh, Matthew's obviously very popular, uh, the first Gospel, but John is often also used in evangelistic contexts. Many people When they are doing evangelism, they will tell folks to read the Gospel of John. So I wanted to take us through John. And the Greek is a little easier, (laughs) and I was learning Greek at the time and thought, here I I would have a text that I could work through a little bit uh, on my own in Greek and enjoy the ideas. So I started with John. That's great. Not struggling so much with the Greek these days. Well, it does prove challenging, as we have discussed at times yet, but the the joy is perhaps uh, more readily available. There you go. That's a good way to put it. So we're talking broadly about the why and how to preach through the Gospels. Let's obviously start with why. What's the importance of this? Why do some people miss this? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, Travis, this is a, a set of ideas here as far as rationale and why preach through the Gospels that have been on my mind as I've come to the end of Luke because I'm now able to reflect on all four a bit and also think back over the duration of my ministry and what church was like at those times, what was going on in my life when I was preaching this book or that one. But perhaps the first reason to preach through the Gospels is because here the preacher learns. I have learned so much about the Bible, about God, 
uh, about church ministry by preaching through the Gospels. When I preached through John, I felt like a grown-up. I felt like I was actually beginning to interact with ideas. And John's a long book, and there are major uh, texts that have to be worked through and sometimes larger chunks to help an audience understand what's going on and then breaking those ideas up. And that's really the work of preaching is how do I take this text and, and bring it to bear in people's lives? How much do I take on? What size of unit? How can I communicate these ideas? And in the Gospels, the preacher learns as much as the congregation. And so I think step one is to recognize here you have an opportunity to learn, and your congregation will see you grow. They'll see this work out in your own life. And I look back over preaching John, and then I preached Matthew, and then I went back to the Old Testament for a while, and then I preached Mark. Went back to the Old Testament for a while, and now... Uh, here at Luke. So I've, I've learned in each of these Gospels, and I think that's the, the first reason. Another reason is here we are able to preach the Gospel in its historical context. Tease that out just a bit. Sometimes we think of the Gospel, and we think immediately, rightly so, of justification by faith. We think of Romans 3, we think perhaps of texts in Galatians, Galatians 2. Uh, these texts are important for us, but there's a sense in which if, if we limit our understanding of the gospel to a legal metaphor, we haven't rooted that concept in history in what Jesus did. Yes, it is God's imputation of righteousness to us, and there's a, this double imputation of our sin to Jesus, and we don't want to discount that. But to understand Jesus' life, his interaction with his opponents, his endurance as the God-man, his determination to go to the cross. You know, three of the four Gospels are, are fairly long. <laughs> uh, and part of the length of that is teasing out Jesus' determination to go to the cross and his work there. So here we have an opportunity to think about the historical events that were realized and then how those events, as accomplished, are applied to us. So I think the, the, the way that the Gospels help us to learn, and then second, how they help us to preach the Gospel itself in its historical reality. A couple of thoughts just along the way with that. Uh, last year at Christmas time, I was struck by National Geographic had a, a, uh, a cover story, and much of an issue in their December uh, magazine was devoted to the archaeological finds recently in Israel. And Kristen Rami is one of their staff writers, and she followed a group of archaeologists around to several different sites. And she, just from a, a journalistic point of view, tried to help audiences understand the way that biblical scholars who are evangelical and biblical scholars who are skeptical would interpret the data. And her article, I think, is very even-handed, but it presents for us this historical rooting that is necessary and the archaeological finds. And I actually did a review of that article 
for the for the church website that Midwestern Seminary runs because it presented, I think, a fairly even-handed view of the data, and she concluded that though the historical finds of archaeology don't confirm any of Jesus' miracles, they don't prove he rose from the dead, there's no way they could attest definitively that he's the Son of God. Nonetheless, none of those finds challenge the Bible's presentation of Jesus. And I think that uh, is something that we can find as well in the Gospels. So uh, I definitely thinking here about, you know, you mentioned imputation. We're talking about, you know, I know theologians will quibble about the definitions, but things like active righteousness, the idea that um, Christ's life uh, is hmm. just as important or at least foundational to the importance of Christ's death on our behalf. And so you're, you're telling me that if we miss the Gospels, we are at risk of missing, missing uh, maybe I'm overstating it, but missing his active obedience, his life, that he was the enduring God-man. And these things that happened to him weren't just kind of a footnote before the cross, but they were things that were integral to his life and his mission and subsequently to our understanding of the gospel. Could you maybe tease out a little bit? I know we've got other things to talk about, but what exactly does that mean? Yes, I, I think that that is true, that there's a sense in which if we miss Jesus' life and the kind of man he was, we have a theological deficit. Mm. Uh, Jesus was brilliant. He was funny. <laughs> I, I, the more I read the Gospels, and uh, even in Luke recently, recognizing Jesus interacting with his opponents, some of the things he says, I think he said with a smile, uh, maybe a, a wink, I don't know, but just a, a sense of, of humor. But even in confronting his opponents at times, even in a sense of, of anger uh, and, and justice that, that he demonstrates, there's real character, there's real personality here, and I think that helps us to know God. Yeah, absolutely. What are, what are some other why factors here? I think one of them, and we're, we're very near it here, is that Jesus and following him in the Gospels helps us to better understand the Old Testament. Hmm. Here we have the first real set of commentary on the Old Testament, and it's from the lips of Jesus. Sometimes straight from him, sometimes him interacting with his opponents. And so he's taking what they believe, what they are commenting on the Old Testament, and then he is turning that around often on them or providing a different nuance or getting to the heart of why they interpret something the way they do. And in all of that, we have theological lessons and we have ethical lessons and how to love one another, uh, how to, uh, to, to follow Christ and to follow God's will for us in practical ways. So when we think about Jesus' commentary on the Old Testament and various passages, we have a window for understanding not just the text itself, but Israel's history. And we have a way to think about the period between the Testaments. One idea that surfaces in preaching the Gospels is that we realize the Gospels, while they could be very uh, different generically. Some have proposed recently that they're biographies of Jesus, and I think that's a good way to read them. Some have proposed that they are their own genre. The gospel is so unique, it's its own genre. 
uh, either way, however that is taken, the Gospels provide us a, an idea of fulfillment for Israel's history. And Jesus communicates just that. He answers questions. One way to think of the Gospels is a book of answers. And the questions we need to find in how Jesus interacts with opponents, also in the Old Testament itself, but in the texts that are labeled Second Temple Judaism literature. Here are texts that are not in the Christian canon, but they were lively. The ideas that are in these texts were common parlance for the folks of Jesus' day. Their expectations about deliverance from God, just like he had done in the Exodus. No longer from Egypt, but now from Rome. And how he's going to work that out. How he is going to redeem his people and set us free. And the ideas of Second Temple Judaism, I think, informed some of Jesus' opponents. And Jesus speaking with his opponents, provides the answers. One of my favorite books in preaching through the Gospels and is a help to me is Jesus Among Friends and Enemies. It's edited by Chris Keith and Larry Hurtado, a collection of essays that were presented at a conference. And, and these help us to see Jesus among friends, the apostles, family members, and so forth. But then enemies, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, Herodians, and how Jesus interacts with them provides us windows into better understanding the Old Testament as well. So we're thinking, yeah, thinking about Old Testament, one of the things that comes to mind for me as you're talking about um, answering questions is that there's maybe at least two levels here. There's there's the event itself and how Jesus interacted with his friends and his enemies and answered questions. But there's also on maybe what we'd call like the editing level, the Holy Spirit inspired four of these yes. things. These people are, are post the cross, post the resurrection, and these early Christian communities have questions. I, I kept thinking, so I preached through John. Um, a couple of years ago, one of my first books to preach through. So maybe I'll be able to swing by and hit those other uh, gospels someday. But uh, I was relying a lot on D.A. Carson, mm-hmm. as we all should, uh, his pillar New Testament commentary. And he basically thinks providence is probably for the early Christian community about the time of the split with the synagogue. I know people have different ideas there, but thinking through that lens, not trying to impose that on the text, not trying to import anything to the text, but just thinking this is an actual event that happened, but their beloved apostle, their elder, as they're about to face this split with the people that they've known and loved and who have carried the covenant for so long, the the impact of what Jesus said and did on them helped me to better understand how what he said and did would impact me today, my congregation, with some of the maybe relational or even political strain they could mm. feel. Uh, how how do you think these questions get answered? You're thinking about, first of all, Old Testament background, but also Second Temple Judaism. I mean, how do the Gospels answer these questions, and what questions are they answering? You know, that's a, a great lens to think through, Travis. And fundamentally, I think one of the issues that Jesus brings up that is not as common in Second Temple Judaism. It's certainly rooted in the Old Testament, but it's, it doesn't surface as often in Second Temple Judaism. One text it does uh, is for Ezra. This, this idea comes up, but total depravity. Mm. This is where Jesus' opponents just don't understand themselves to be depraved. They may need a little help, but fundamentally they see themselves as okay. 
And Jesus turns that concept entirely on its head. No, everyone is an outsider, and the only way to come inside is through him. And so this idea of, of the need of spiritual salvation through being born again, uh, it's no accident that Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus occurs in John 3, <laughs> early in yeah. the gospel, because that idea is going to continue to be teased out, that there has to be a change from the inside. And as Jesus tells Nicodemus, you should have caught on to this from Ezekiel 36 and 37, mm-hmm. or you should have caught on to something new needed from the inside. And I think that helps us to, again, preach the gospel, that there has to be a real change from the inside in a person's life. Mm. That's good. So we're thinking about still a little bit the why before we move on to the how. If you had to, if you had to bring up any points we haven't hit or if you had to maybe even try to sum it up in a sentence, why preach the gospels? Maybe just one more idea that we haven't touched on exactly, but the, the synoptic gospel issue and then John as its own unique gospel presentation. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, even just a cursory reading, we recognize similar patterns, similar beginnings, not exactly the same, but similar flow, concern for geography from Jesus in Galilee to Jerusalem, though there's some some back and forth, but but ultimately that's the descent uh, from north to to south, but it's an ascent topographically. We're going from a lower elevation to a higher one to Jerusalem, and this is a general pattern that's seen. But one of the ideas in preaching through any one gospel is we have an opportunity to help people recognize the other gospels, and we can do so in a, in a way that authenticates God's word, verifies it, as opposed to those who they may have heard talk about the Gospels and all the differences between them. If we preach through a Gospel, we have an opportunity to help people see how similar all the Gospels are, all four, but especially these three, and to see the coherence and to help folks recognize that one way to understand these differences, fairly minor, is that these are the kind of differences that do authenticate. They are the kinds of differences that one wouldn't necessarily make up. If we had every gospel exactly the same, word for word, and if one is following along in the Greek text, they recognize that a particular tense form may communicate one idea, but the same idea could be communicated by a different tense form. There are so many complications here, but the ideas essentially are the same, and we can help people to understand that, and it gives them a greater sense of the authenticity of their faith. I think the the four Gospels understanding and preaching through one with an idea of four can help people who are struggling with their faith and who are doubting. I think folks who who are honestly doubting can be helped by the historicity of Jesus, And I've tried to emphasize this as I've preached, that God's work in Christ is what saves, not my feelings, not the situation of my life, not even my own obedience. It's what God has done in his son, and that has historical veracity. It can be authenticated in these texts and in history. That is a buoy for your faith. Mm. And it's past tense. Yes. It's not up for grabs. It's not... Uh, prone to change, that's a that's a good 
good word of encouragement. So as we're thinking about that, then let's maybe lean a little bit into the how. Uh, you've already, so preaching through the text, we're, we're thinking expository sermons, but um, I, I've noticed, you know, a tendency in myself and preaching through John and in others, these are just really long books. So what, what would you say to that? How should we be preaching through the Gospels? I think a, a couple of practices can help us and our congregations to preach through them in such a way that we cover the larger ideas and we do so in a way that doesn't overwhelm the congregation. So they are larger books. And it may be helpful then to give an overview. If you're going to preach their gospel, take a Sunday to give an overview of the major sections. We talked about John. You've got what many scholars would call the book of signs and then the book of glory broken uh, down into those two. If one is preaching through Matthew, there are large units of narrative and then sermons. So you could break those up and help people to see the lay of the land. And as you're preaching through, continue to do that. Uh, Now preaching through Luke, I've continually tried to help the congregation understand the importance of at least two texts in Luke. One, Jesus' quotation of Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 in Nazareth in Luke 4, 18 and 19, where he quotes that text from the scroll of Isaiah, announcing his ministry and how so much of what follows is an explanation of that, but also with Luke's geographic presentation of Jesus' movement and his final journey to Jerusalem, beginning in Luke 9.51 and concluding in Luke 19.41, and seeing how those more structural anchors can help folks to interpret the whole. So uh, I think one step is to help people see the lay of the land. If they can understand the big picture, it's easier for them to follow us along through the smaller units if they know where we're going and we can help them understand the big picture, sort of like a, a map app on your phone. If you can see the big picture, you can sort of trust the voice you're listening to a little more uh, calmly as you're going through this side street or the next one. Yeah, sure. I've uh, had a couple of those scares at times, so I, I, I think I get that. So we're thinking about preaching every verse. Is that what you would recommend? I would. I think if someone is going to preach through the Gospels to really understand them, you have to preach at least every paragraph. Now, every verse is not going to get your attention. Uh, I wouldn't suggest trying to, to parse every word as you go. It's, it would take much too long. But preach every paragraph. That doesn't mean that your sermon is limited to just one paragraph. It may be several paragraphs. It may be sometimes you have to deal with five paragraphs or a larger unit. But make sure that you hit each one because that is where you will find the unique literary structure of each of the Gospels. It's there that you'll see, for instance, Mark has a proclivity for these sandwich units. He introduces an idea, then a new idea, and then comes back to the first idea. And that middle unit, the meat, if you will, helps us to understand the bread on the sides. Uh, These wouldn't be recognized as easily if you weren't preaching all the way through, and the congregation wouldn't appreciate them as much. But if you can do that, it helps. Uh, Same with Luke's gospel. Uh, If one is moving around, they're not going to see 
just how frequently Jesus brings up issues of outsiders becoming insiders in various ways. Uh, Those who are needy, women, the poor, these outsiders, the sick, are becoming insiders, and how that happens in various ways. So if a preacher will commit to going through, I'm going to walk through this book, and I'm not going to skip around and just do a chapter here, a chapter there to catch the big ideas. I'm going to move us through so that we experience all of the text. Then the the readers will get the, the or the your hearers will get the real theology of of uh, what the author intended. Sure, and I think the the big point there is not leaving anything behind. Not necessarily that we're doing two verses a week, right? Yes. And we may miss a lot of things if we do that. You, yeah. if you're thinking Mark and sandwiches. Well, if you break that into three different units and don't demonstrate how they work together, then you might be actually missing something. One of the things I've really appreciated about your preaching through Luke has been the focus on um, the teaching and parable kind of pairs that have come Mm. up, these couplets. Mm. Something I had not Mm. thought much about Mm. in my reading of Luke and then how the parables kind of elucidate on the teaching, how the teaching sort of informs what he's trying to get at with the parables. Um, it would be easy to preach them as two separate sermons and to not really make any connection. And so I think I see what you're saying there, which uh, consequently shortens your preaching time, right? Or shortens the, the length in which you're going to actually get through the book, although you have to cover more in a given sermon. So I think that that helps a lot. Yes, and I think that's that tension is lively for everyone who's preaching through the Gospels. Mm -hmm. How much to take on and how little, because if you go too slowly, you could be in a Gospel for just many, many years. And I'm not sure that's all that healthy for a congregation. I think it may take a few years, really, to get through a Gospel, but uh, many years, it's it's probably not all that healthy. Uh, So there has to be that that tension. And this is a, a bit of a practical note before we move on to a couple other things, but one of the things that I have noticed is that we take frequent rest stops. Um, someone is baptized, we're going to preach mm-hmm. on baptism. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Mother's Day, Father's Day. Yeah. Um, people are we're getting some breaks, we're covering some other things as needed, um, but still this slow and steady commitment to Luke. And so I think that helps probably a lot as far as from a pastoral level. So uh, about the how, what else should we be thinking about as we preach the Gospels? In following the narrative structure... One of the challenges that a preacher of the Gospels faces is that the Gospels are repetitive. Mm. So many of the ideas that are set out build one on another, but they don't move very far laterally. So you're, you're in a sense, saying the same thing week after week. And for a young preacher, if, if young preachers who are, who are listening uh, to uh, Tool Talk here... I just want to pastorally encourage you to to put aside the the demand, perhaps just in your own mind, to be creative. I have to be creative and sort of keep people's attention and always something fresh. If you just move through that gospel and follow its narrative flow, God's people will be fed and rightly, if you will, entertained. Their attention will be held, and you don't need to get creative uh, along the way. Those narrative structures of the Gospels say the same thing over and over for a reason. People need to hear them. And what is heard is that God has come near in his Son. And that is a message that in and of itself 
repeated over and over, weights and roots God's people, that this has really happened. And the variegated perspectives that the Gospels provide around that central theme of the incarnation, death, and resurrection of Christ is something that doesn't need to be added to, doesn't need any dressing. We don't need to be creative with it. We certainly don't want to be dull and boring, but we want to just say what the text says. And for especially young preachers, uh, about halfway through the Gospels, they get agitated. I'm just saying the same thing over and over. And I tell my students, if you're doing that in the Gospels, you're probably doing very well. (laughs) So we thought about why to preach through the Gospels, all the Gospels, uh, how to do that, especially noting their differences and committing to each of them that you're going to not skip around and miss things because that's where you miss those uh, unique nuances. Any any additional word as to preaching and teaching the Gospels here? I think the, the final word would be to pray. I think the Gospels help us to, as, as preachers, to see the reality of Jesus and pray for God to build the stability of the faith of our congregations. As we say over and over, this message of God coming near in Christ, to pray that God would do that through these gospels that we're preaching through and help those who are lacking stability. Uh, We live in a world of constant change and emotions can sway. Life circumstances can threaten the faith uh, of many believers, and the Gospels can help us as we pray through that. Uh, they can help us to apply the text and, and edify the the sheep of the Lord and to build them up along the way. Mm. Appreciate that and your commitment to that. I'm excited um, for people to get a hold of Scripture storyline. I know there's a lot of biblical theology that's happening all through, but especially Hearing the Gospels, understanding what's the what's the Old Testament have to say about these things, and that's exactly what you've done in that. So I'm excited for that to be coming. But busy right now with the Orphan Minded Church. Correct? Yes. Okay. Yes, Orphan Minded Church be published by Moody will be out in August, and I'm excited about this project, helping folks to see the way that. Churches who take in orphans, it is a challenging job, and believers who commit to help one another in this, but it is just an integral, it's, it's what the church is equipped to do. And in helping kids, we help ourselves. We are working out our faith, and we are doing what we really should be doing. And we are those, of all folks in society, believers are those who are, who are equipped to do this hard work. It's never easy, but as believers partner together, we have a, a greater set of resources than anyone else does, and, uh, and we can do this and help ourselves as well. And it's been fun to interview a number of, of evangelical leaders, uh, Kevin Izell, president of the North American Mission Board, Russell Moore, president of the Ethics Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, D.J. Jordan works on Capitol Hill, uh, and has adopted, and how the various themes prevalent in our culture, and not just the breakdown of the family, but racial issues, issues of sex trafficking. Uh, so many of the sex trafficked victims were at one point in foster care. And as believers enter in, we can prevent some of that from happening. We, we can't solve society's problems. It's that's a bit too optimistic uh, until the Lord returns, I think. But, but we can sure glorify him in how we live and make a difference culturally and apologetics in what we believe. That's beautiful. And it's, it's cool to hear you 
preaching Luke and uh, thinking about bringing in outsiders and Jesus's hospitality mm-hmm. and uh, and then to look over and see your two girls that we just yeah. love to have and are, are mm-hmm. glad to glad to have yeah. around with us. So um, it, it's been great. I'm excited for people to get a hold of some of these resources and hopefully they'll benefit from this and go and do likewise. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, brother. Thank you.